Okay, guys, we're in Acts chapter 17. So let me just give you a little bit of a brief introduction. We're going to look at Paul now as he goes to Athens. This is a key chapter that I think is very relevant to where we're at today in our culture. Okay, let me just stop for a moment. I'm, I'm just going to, I want you to help understand. I know uh, we just had an election, we've got a new president and all that stuff. But I, I don't really, that's not my interest, okay? I just want you to be aware of something. Cultures, politics usually reflects what's going on in the culture. That's been true always. So the culture is shifted. And so what can happen is, is for Christians to think, well, we just need the right man in to get things back to where it should be, what we think it should be. Well, that's not necessarily going to happen. And so what we find ourselves in, what the church finds itself in today in 2017 is different than where the church was even 30 years ago in 1987. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's different. The culture's different, right? Okay. People's acceptance level of the church is different. Everybody agree with that? The age group from 18 to 30 is a good majority of that is people called nuns. They don't believe anything. How do you reach that? Because we have a concept of, of evangelism that's based in Acts chapter 2 where you just preach the word and people respond. <laughs> But the reality is, is that there's a lot of preaching going on. People aren't responding, are they? In fact, stats are showing, it's been happening for years in the mainline churches. Mainline churches are continue to decline. But evangelical Bible-believing churches now are starting to decline because we're getting older and grayer and there isn't any... You know what I'm saying? We're not reaching our agenda. In fact, this, this, these statistics were just released this week by the Barner Research Group. Of senior pastors, I'm a senior pastor, of senior pastors in the United States, okay, you ready for this? One in seven are under the age of 40. Think about that. So I'm a solo pastor here, but I'm considered a senior pastor. In America, in churches, one in seven senior pastors are under the age of 40. That means the other six of seven are 40 and older. Anywhere from 40 up to about 65 and even beyond. In fact, they're saying now, because of the economy, a lot of older pastors aren't retiring. First of all, they don't have a retirement. And so they're just hanging on. But there's no younger ones coming up anymore to feel the call to go into ministry. That's the culture that we live in. Why am I telling you all of this? I'm telling you all of that to tell you that our approach to how we share the gospel has to change with a recognition that our culture is changing and that even people you know, used to, people had some kind of an understanding of the Bible and some kind of understanding of biblical truth. That's not true anymore. That's not true anymore. 
And so how do we reach people who have no clue? Do you understand what I'm saying? Whose concept of the spiritual world is watching three witches on TV and the demons and the angels and stuff that they interact with. Did you understand what I'm saying? I guess, it, what is that show called? Charmed? You know what I'm saying? You know, do you know what I'm saying? That, and that show is geared towards young people. Okay? And that's where people are getting their concept of spirituality. How do we, how do we reach that? Well, I think a good passage is what we're going to hit right now is Acts chapter 17 because Paul comes to a city by himself and it's pretty pagan. And we're going to see how he interacts there. Okay? How he interacts. So let's look. Let's look. We're going to look at verses 16 through 34. Look with me at verses 16 and 17 of Acts chapter 17. And notice what it says. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens... His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace with those who happened to be there. So he's going to change his approach a little bit here because normally we're going to, we'll talk about it here in a second. So let's look. First of all, so while... Paul waited in Athens. He was provoked in his spirit by the many idols in the city. He was provoked. It wasn't just because of the idols. It was because of the reality that the people there were given over to just worshiping those dumb, meaningless idols. He was provoked by that. Stop for a moment. When you look at our culture... Kerwinsville, Clearfield, Clearfield County, Western Central Pennsylvania, Northeast United States, America. I'm not asking you if you get provoked. Paul's not provoked necessarily by the morality because Christians today, we listen to the radio, we can get provoked by political things. Lay that aside. Do you ever get provoked by where people are at and where their focus is because you realize they're chasing after meaningless things. They're worshiping meaningless things. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, Lori. I think he was grieved. I think it's more like a grieved. I mean, it's, it's provoking him to action. It's not that an anger thing. It's provoking his spirit. You understand? It could be to grief. It could be to anger. Because I think there would be a combination of both. Anger towards Satan because he's got this world in bondage. Grief because people are given over to it. I sense that when Foster and I, when I spoke at that conference in Myanmar, which is Burma, okay, in, in Asia, uh, two and a half years ago, Foster and I were there. And on the last day of the conference, they took us to the Golden Pagoda. Now, that is... It's actually an artifact site now, UN artifact site. It's a huge Buddhist temple. Uh, I shouldn't even say one temple. There were many temples there. And it was all gold. It was this huge thing of gold. And, and, and I'm walking around. I had, to think, I had to take my shoes off. And it had just rained. And there, 
the whole complex is ceramic tile, smooth ceramic tile, and Big George walking around barefooted, afraid of slipping and biting it. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Because but they had a little green mat thing that they had laid down for for people to walk so they would. But I'm walking around there and I'm looking and people are offering incense. There's over in this corner here, there's an idol and some guys continually pouring water on that, pouring water, pouring water. And, and the, the guide who was with us, the guy, the Christian man who was with us said, he's trying to wash away his sins. He's trying to wash away his sins. And, and that provoked me. It didn't provoke me to anger, folks. It provoked me to grief. That I know Jesus and these people don't. They're here doing a meaningless activity. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now that, that's very obvious when you see something like that. But what I'm saying to you is when you pick up the paper, when you're looking at Gant Daily on the news, on, on, your, on, on the web, and you're seeing what people are doing here, does it provoke you to the reality that they need Jesus? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Does it provoke you? So let me just go on here. So this caused Paul to preach in the synagogue to the Jews and the God-fearing Jews, of Gentiles. This caused Paul to preach in the synagogue to the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. So that's his normal strategy, right? Go into a city, where does he always go first? Synagogue. And who's he preached to there? He preaches to the Jews and to the God-fearers who are there. All right? Now Paul's going to do something a little bit different here because I want you to notice that when he was not speaking in a synagogue, he spoke to anyone who listened in the market. So he's changed his strategy just a little bit here now to whereas before he just focused on the synagogue, talking to them and the Jews there who were open to the gospel. Now he's sitting in the marketplace talking to anybody who'll listen. Now again, when I talk about the marketplace, the closest thing that we have to it is the mall. Do you know what I'm saying? The mall. Okay? And even that doesn't have a lot of people to it. But think about somewhere where people congregate all the time. He's there, you know, he's there preaching to anyone who will listen. So he's, he's, he's so provoked now that he feels that everybody needs to hear, okay? Everybody needs to hear. Now, look with me at verses 18 through 34, and we're going to see the Areopagus. What happens there? Look with me at verse 18. Now certain Epicureans and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And he took them and brought, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you, you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. 
Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in hopes that they might grope for him and find him through, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by him whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed, among them Dionysus, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. All right, so let's take a look here. First of all, he gets an invitation. So he's speaking in the marketplace. And of course, people are hearing him speak. And here's what happens. The Epicureans and the Stoics met Paul and mocked his teaching. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I want you to understand what Athens was like. Athens is like, I think the closest we would think of is like maybe Boston. Boston has Harvard there, right? Isn't Harvard in Boston, Boston area? There's also Boston College there. It's a university town. So Athens was a free city. Rome made it a free city because it was considered a university town. And all the people of the world went to Athens to seek knowledge. So it was a place where they talked about knowledge a lot. So what Paul was doing in the marketplace was not uncommon in that day. It wasn't weird. They didn't look at him and say, oh, look, that street preacher. No, they would say, hey, there's a guy who's sharing a philosophy. So some of them are listening to him. They're Epicureans and Stoics, and they are mocking what he's saying. They don't like what he's saying. They think it's weird, okay? What's this new teaching, all right? Now let me tell you about the Epicureans. They uh, taught that nature rather than reason was the true reality. They believed that the chief purpose of, purpose of man was to achieve happiness, okay? So the, sounds like we have some Epicureans in our culture today, right? The whole purpose of man is to achieve happiness. They taught that man has a free will to plan 
and live a life of pleasure. So they taught that man was free to, had a free will to live a life filled with pleasure. Okay? They taught that man must avoid pain in his life. Man must avoid pain. And for, for the philosopher, the highest joy is found in mental and intellectual pursuits. That's what the Epicurean thought. That's where most pleasure is found, is pursuing after knowledge. Okay? The Stoic philosophers, they believed that fire is the ultimate substance of God. And God was the, is the most active principle of the universe. He permeated everything in a sort of a soul. The Stoics taught that destructive emotions resulted from errors in judgment. So if you're having a fit, that's because you're having an error in your judgment. That's what the Stoics thought, okay? They uh, taught there was an active relation between the cosmos and human freedom. Uh, they, they believed in be, that it was virtuous to maintain a will that is in accord with nature. So it... it uh, they taught that an indication of a person's beliefs was not in what the person said, but rather in how he behaved. didn't matter what you said, it's how you lived your life. That's what a Stoic thought. So these guys are hearing Paul, both of them from different spectrums. They think he's nuts, okay? So uh, they mock his teaching. So they felt that Paul was proclaiming a new God with his preaching about the resurrection. So stop for a moment. If you're of this, if, if you're of this belief, of either Epicurean or a Stoic belief, and here comes Paul preaching as Paul is the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that would be weird to you, wouldn't it? You've never heard that before. If you've never heard it before, what would you think? Yeah, you would think he's crazy. You would mock him. Like, what kind of strange teaching is this? Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, how many of you remember the group, the cult group that was, I think, probably 10 years ago out in California, they committed suicide because they believed that man was brought here by aliens and they needed to commit suicide to wait for the aliens to come back and get them? Do you know what I'm saying? Do you remember that? Now, when you hear that, what do you think when you hear that kind of teaching? Crazy is what, what Mike says. How many of you think that's really nuts? Do you understand how they're feeling? They've never heard his teaching before. They don't have any understanding of that. So they think he's preaching a new God. It must be some kind of new God from the East. Where are you from? You know? So they brought Paul to the Areopagus in order to examine his teaching. Now the Areopagus, I think parts of it are still standing today in Greece, ruins of it, was a place where it was a place of judgment. And there were people who were there, and what they did was is any new teaching would come, and they would judge that teaching. They would listen to that teaching. They also made civic decisions there. So it was kind of like the town hall. For us, it would be like the county seat. It would be like the courthouse. Only we only handle civic matters there. In their day, they would hand or, hand, let anybody come and speak and share a new philosophy for them to consider because it's an educated town. Do you understand? It's a university town. And, and to them, knowledge was the supreme thing. Understanding all things. So they brought him to the Areopagus in order to examine his teaching. They acknowledged Paul's strange teaching and that they wanted to understand it. So he presents his teaching 
They wanted to understand it. They brought him to the Areopagus. They acknowledged his strange teaching, and they wanted to understand it. They expressed that the purpose of the Areopagus was to hear and consider new teachings. So that was the purpose, to hear and consider new teachings. So let's look, verse 27 through 31, I've already shared it with you, is Paul's message. So I want you to notice the difference here. Remember when Peter preached? Peter shared lots of scripture. Why? Because the people he was talking to had an understanding of the Jewish Old Testament scriptures. Why? Because they were all Jews steeped in the scripture. We're looking at Paul now. Paul's talking to people who have no clue. Paul's talking to people who have no understanding, who've never walked in a church building. Folks, there are people in our community who have never walked in a church building. The closest concept that they have of what happens in a church is what they see on a sitcom on a TV. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the closest concept. People today don't have any clue. All right, so listen to how he presents it. First of all, he talks about their spirituality. Paul stood and proclaimed that he perceived that they were men of spirituality. Now, how he did that is, is he says, guys, I'm walking around your city and I see an idol everywhere. You are obviously spiritual people. Okay, stop for a moment. Good point to make. When you're talking to somebody who believes differently than you do, maybe they tell you they believe in Buddhism. Folks, you can be white and believe in Buddhism. Okay? Maybe they tell you that they believe in the Baha faith. Maybe they tell you they worship Satan. That's possible today too. Okay? Notice how Paul starts off with them. He doesn't tell them, you're wrong! He doesn't start off telling them you're wrong. How does he start off here? I perceive you're spiritual. You obviously are trying to look for something. You understand the approach is different than what we've been taught. Do you understand what I'm saying? How many of you have been taught when the Jehovah Witness comes to your door, slam the door in your face? Because that's what we've done. They're actually... Yes, they're lost. Yes, they're going to hell. Yes, they're spreading a false doctrine. But they need Jesus. They need somebody to talk to them and show them. Now, they may not be open to talk to you, but you're not going to talk to them one time to get them to be convinced. Do you understand? Now, don't usually do it with a Jehovah Witness who comes to your door because there's usually two of them. But if you know one, talk to them. Do you understand? So here's what I'm saying. Paul stood and proclaimed and perceived that they were spiritually. He stated that he considered their objects of worship and the altar to the unknown God. So he said, I'm, I'm around looking at your objects of worship, and I saw that there's this altar to the unknown God. Now let me just stop for a moment. During this time period, when Paul is preaching, almost 2,000 years ago, Athens was filled with altars to the unknown God. Now here's the story. It comes from Greek writings of the time. One of the stories is, is maybe a few centuries before this point, Athens was faced with a plague of some sort of disease. Maybe it was the bubonic plague, but whatever. 
They, people were dying by the thousands in, in Athens. And so the city decided that the gods, because they're pagans, needed to be appeased. So what do we do? Okay. Now here's where the story changes. One writer says that they released sheep throughout the whole city. Flocks and flocks of sheep. Another writer says it was pigs. But it, whichever one, they released these animals, either pigs or sheep, to roam throughout the city. And if they went into a temple, that was the God that needed to be offered sacrifice to, to appease him so that this disease, this plague, would leave the city. So, of course, they release the animals, and, and they're all over the city, and, of course, they're going into the temple of Athena, and they're going into the temple of Hermes, and they're, so they're going into the temple of Zeus, and, and they're making sacrifices. Well, you know what it's like when you release animals. They're just not all going to run to a temple, right? Some of the animals just kind of moseyed along, and they're not in a temple. They're outside eating grass. Or if it's a pig, eating slop. So they decided... This must be a place for an unknown God, so they sacrificed the animal right there. And because of their sacrifice, they built altars there to the unknown God. That's from Greek history. Paul comes along, says, I see all your objects of worship and your altar to the unknown God. To the unknown God. So they believed in the unknown God. All right, so let me just stop for a moment. Here's what he does. You can learn from this. Paul wanted to proclaim the unknown God to them that they ignorantly worshipped. You see what he's doing? He's taking a small thing that they believe in and expanding their understanding of it. Because they worshipped all other kinds of God. Did they worship the God of Israel? No. I'm going to proclaim to you the unknown God that you worship, the one that you don't know, the creator of heaven and earth. So Paul wanted to proclaim the unknown God to them that they worshipped ignorantly. He stated that the creator God does not dwell in temples made by human hands. Stop for a moment. They would know that. Why? Because when they released those animals, their, their concept of what happened, and believe me, they would know the history there, but not all the animals went into a temple, right? So they know the unknown God's not in temples. Okay, he's not in temples. So he, the creator God does not dwell in temples made by human hands. He proclaimed God created every nation and set their boundaries in time. So he's talking about the supremacy of this God. He's the one who created the nations. And actually the word there is ethnos, ethnicities. So don't think of bordered nations like we have today. Think of people groups. He's the one who set the people groups. And he's the one who set the boundaries for these people groups. Okay? Stated that God created them in order to seek him, knowing he was nearby. God created them to seek him. Folks, God has created, put in us a desire to know him. He stated that God created them in order to seek him, knowing that he was nearby. Using their poets. So here's what he does. He just doesn't say, okay, this is what the Bible says. No, he uses their poets. He uses their own literature of the time. Using the poets, he proclaimed that man exists and lives through God. 
that man exists and lives through God. Because we are the creation of God, man must not see God as something made by hands. It's not something that we make by our hands. Yes, Lord. Yeah, it is the ultimate object lesson. Yes, he is. He's using that as an object lesson. Okay? So then he goes on, while God overlooked the ignorance of him in the pa- of them in the past, while God overlooked the ignorance of them in the past, he now calls men to repentance. Now, just stop for a moment. Do you think God's overlooking ignorance today? I, I can't hear you. Do you think he is? How many of you would say yes? Raise your hand. How many of you would say no? He's not overlooking ignorance today. A few of you. Here's the thing. I would say yes, he is. Why? Because it's the patience of God before the judgment comes. He's going to hold them accountable, folks. But ultimately what sends people to hell is what? Not believing in who? Jesus. Do you understand? So he's overlooking their ignorance now. He has been. It's his patience. Okay? So he's proclaiming that patience of God. God overlooked the ignorance of him, them in the past. Now he calls them to repentance. So God has appointed the final judgment by Jesus, who is confirmed by the resurrection. So he's saying, this final judgment is going to take place, and it's going to be administered by this one, and it was the one who was resurrected. Jesus. So he brings up the resurrection. So I think it's interesting. They were hearing him up to this point. If you look at the text, he had their attention up to this point, and as soon as he mentioned what? The resurrection. Not just Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus. If you look at the text... It says, as soon as they heard of the resurrection. All right? So hearing about the resurrection, some mocked Paul while others wanted to hear more. Why? I think that within every human being is a sense that there's something more than what's in this life. Do you understand what I'm saying? And there are people who want to know that and are searching for answers there. They may not express it out loud, but here comes Paul and he's preaching a message. Even though it's new to them, new to them. He struck a nerve with some of them when he talked about the resurrection. Do you understand what I'm saying? He struck a nerve with them. So, having finished his preaching, Paul departed from the Areopagus. So he leaves the Areopagus. He's done. Now, I want you to notice something. There's something different here this time compared to the other times. He ain't being stoned. Nobody's running him out on the rail, tar and feathering him. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's not being attacked here. Do you understand? Because it's a free-thinking community, supposedly. All right? But the writer points out that some followed Paul and believed the gospel. Some followed Paul 
and believe the gospel. The difference is, is when you look at Acts 2, thousands came to Jesus. When you look at Acts 17, it only lists, I'm sure there were more than that, but they mentioned two specific people. Not like thousands. That's what you're going to find when you share the gospel in our culture today. There are going to be people who respond. But it's not going to be hundreds, not like a, watching a Billy Graham crusade. Do you understand? 